0: The website goes on to explain that there are four elements to a proper thank you. First, mention the gift by name. Oh, no, the giver. Hold on. The gift by name? Mm-hmm. I wrote gift, but that, does that make sense? Maybe the giver. Um, <laughs> no, the gift. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Potato peeler. <laughs> <laughs> you just say it out loud. <laughs> at your next party you're like well Lindsay said
1: and I'm gonna give people potato peelers for their hostess gift now yeah and laugh every time say it say it (laughs) Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're
0: listening to episode 119. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are discussing how to cope with the dark, cold days of winter. In
1: her book, Wintering, author Catherine May makes this pronouncement, quote, in our relentlessly busy contemporary world, we are forever trying to defer the onset of winter. An occasional sharp wintering would do us good. We must learn to invite the winter in we may never choose to winter, but we can choose how." End quote. So here, now in February, in midwinter, this is exactly what we're exploring today. Why
0: we should winter, and how. But first, the best way that you can support the Modern Lady Podcast is by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us.
1: This week's shout out goes to Chris39, who left us a lovely review on iTunes and said, quote, I am so grateful for having found this podcast right at a time when I was wondering how to manage my new role as a full-time homemaker and feeling a bit lost. Michelle and Lindsay have greatly impacted this transition, and I am now not just content with this new chapter, but utterly excited. I love the vintage vibes alongside up to date resources and helpful tips. Sadly, I am nearly caught up on all these episodes and will have to actually wait for new ones. Thank you ladies. And keep up the great work. Very much appreciated." End quote. Well, thank you so much Chris 39 for your review and for your message. We are so thrilled that you are finding enjoyment and excitement at home and in your new season of life and are really grateful to be brought along with you on your journey. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern
0: Lady Tip of the Week. Having come through the holiday season, I keep reflecting on one situation that pops up frequently during that time, and that is what is proper gift receiving etiquette? And more specifically, is it proper to open the gift in front of the gift giver? Now, personally, I find the situation to be most confusing in terms of hostess gifts. I think it's pretty clear that you open a birthday gift in front of the gift giver or something else very specific like a baby gift or Christmas gift. But hostess gifts are different and are given at the moment when you are welcoming people into your house so it's often a little chaotic. So when do you open a hostess gift? My research has shown that it's pretty clear that you open it in front of the gift giver and that this is the case for every type of gift given to you. I read over and over again that it's actually rude to not open the gift in a timely manner in front of the gift giver. And it turns out there are rules for opening gifts too. And for these, I turned to the website etiquetteschoolofamerica.com. The first etiquette rule is the most obvious. You say a heartfelt thank you. They did point out that the thank you isn't exactly for the gift itself, but rather it acknowledges the act of kindness that was shown to you. And the next tip is that you open the card first. If you are at your own bridal or baby shower, you open the card and say, this gift is from Michelle, and then you read the card silently to yourself. After reading the card, you make eye contact with the gift giver, and you smile and say, thank you, Michelle, and then proceed to open the gift. The website goes on to explain that there are four elements to a proper thank you. First, mention the gift by name. Second, say something nice about the gift and giver. Third, use the gift giver's name. And fourth, say thank you. So like this. Oh, a vanilla candle. You are so thoughtful, Michelle. You remember that I love vanilla. Thank you so much. If the gift is still in a type of protective packaging after you've unwrapped it, you should leave it in its packaging unless it's something handmade or has delicate details like jewelry and there are others present who would like to see it up close. I wondered if thank you cards were needed even for hostess gifts, and it does seem like it is a very nice gesture, but one that many of us have forgotten about. You only need four or five sentences thanking your friend for the lovely visit and for the gift. Is there ever a time when you don't open a gift? Well, if it is a hostess gift and you're hosting quite a large party and people are steadily streaming into your home, then it would hold up the flow of people if you were to open each gift. Jay Remmer, Canada's etiquette expert, says that you can say, Oh, how lovely of you to think of me. I hope you don't mind if I open this gift a little later. The last tip for being a gracious recipient is that it's better to overdo your appreciation than underdo it. In this case, little white lies are totally acceptable. It truly is the thought that counts. Wow. I I do feel like this is a good tip
1: to practice Mm -hmm. because... receiving a gift especially in this context we're talking about with hostess yes often it's the last thing on your mind on how to do that properly (laughs) do you know what i mean with everything else on your plate (laughs) pun intended when (laughs) you're hosting dinner dinner your plate yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but i can see how it is um It's all part of just being gracious in your demeanor and in your character, right? And I think rather than being really overwhelmed by something like this, it's just something uh, neat to work on that will just improve your character even more. The winter months can be challenging and a test of perseverance. Many of us find ourselves here in midwinter gritting our teeth and just holding on until the first signs of spring come. But what if there was another way to go about it? A way to not just endure winter, but to actually kind of enjoy it? Hygge helps, but perhaps there can be even more to it that goes beyond just our beloved candles, right, Lindsay?
0: It is hard to go beyond the beloved candles. We do love our candles. (laughs) 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 But something hit me this week, Michelle. So Mm -hmm. do you remember winter from your childhood and how different it is than now?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Like, I don't think we want to get into a chat on climate change, um, but (laughs) I think that there is a huge difference between the winter of like my childhood in the 1980s and now like Mm. what I remember, and maybe I'm wrong, but in my memory, winter started around the week of Halloween, generally. right? And it kind of didn't go away, right? Like it was yeah. winter right through till March mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. sometimes into March break and stuff. And now, I, and I really think I've noticed this in the last 10, 15 years, we get a few flurries, a few snowy days in November, and then it melts. Mm-hmm. And then it's pretty mild leading up to I think almost exclusively green Christmases yes. for the last decade. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's usually like a bit of a thaw in early January and then winter hits us with all of her fury yeah. <laughs> blasting us with blizzards and ice storms and piles of snow from mid January through February and into early April.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right uh, about the Halloween thing because mm-hmm. that was always the, that's the joke, right? Is that we always yes. had to have our Halloween costumes big enough that you could wear your entire <laughs> snowsuit underneath of it because yep. usually it was yep. snowing. It was legit winter on Halloween. So you're yeah. right. It hasn't really been that early for a long time. And it does seem to have shifted uh, by a couple of months because even into May, sometimes uh, yeah. there's yep. frost for sure in May. And So, yeah, it's the same length, but it seems longer, but maybe because we've shifted it
0: (laughs) by two months. Yeah. Well, it got me thinking about it the other day because I, when it really, we you know, started getting a lot of snow a couple of weeks ago where you and I mm-hmm. live and one of our listeners messaged me and she goes, oh, it's time to really huga," And I'm like, girl, I am hygged out. <laughs> I have been hyggeing since October. <laughs> and then I realized this like shifting of a couple of months has really messed with my head. Like mm-hmm. I feel like, and you and I've talked about this so many times, we get super excited as soon yes. as it <laughs> starts to get a little darker and a little cold, right? Mm-hmm. In October. And, and we do we go full Huga, And then I did realize that like come January, February, March, like I'm done with the candles. I'm done with all that stuff. So it's almost like there's like the pre-Christmas winter and after Christmas winter. And I mm-hmm. really, I'm wondering if I should be saving all of those things until the real winter hits at this point, because man, are we in it now? Oh, and <laughs> it's it's not fun.
1: <laughs> it's true. There is like two winters right there's like the Mm pre-Christmas winter which is magical because it's all about like twinkly lights and baking Christmas treats and that anticipation of leading up to Christmas so there's like that winter and then what I've started actually just calling um Swedish winter (laughs) 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 yes because to your point this is about the time when we probably should be starting those um our favorite Swedish traditions that we love to talk about, like Huga, like Fika. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is about the time that uh, it strikes me it seems more natural to start picking those things up. So, yeah, maybe we do kind of in our minds split winter into two sub seasons. We have yeah. Christmas winter and then Swedish winter. <laughs>
0: So as we were doing our research, you know, and as we were examining our own lives and our own families, we really looked into like the winter blues and into even seasonal seasonal affective disorder. And I actually turned Michelle to Instagram yesterday, as I do, right, for Mm -hmm. science. And (laughs) uh, I like to collect data uh, via my Insta stories, field research. Yeah, (laughs) it's very, very scientific. Um, And... Because I came across this list of like symptoms that a doctor would use to diagnose seasonal affective disorder. And apparently only 5% of the population gets uh, diagnosed with it. But I thought surely more people are feeling these things because some of the things on the list are like weight gain, a drop mm. in energy level, fatigue, a tendency to oversleep, a change in appetite, uh, increased sensitivity to social rejection and avoidance of social mm. situations, not wanting to go out. And I'm like, I think that's just called winter. <laughs> um, so mm. I threw it to my instagram and sure enough like the numbers you know kept changing but on average it was around 85 percent of respondents said that they all feel those things wow yep so it's very clear that we're all struggling a lot Well, most of us the vast majority of us who live in these beautiful northern climates um, are struggling with a type of winter blues um, and perhaps even seasonal affective disorder now what we're going to do here is we want to look at different ways to try to enjoy winter and Mm -hmm. of course you know, we understand that that's not a, a fix-all for some mm-hmm. of you who are really feeling down. So if you want to talk to your doctor and need to do that, by all means, you know, please, please do that. Uh, this is just a way that we thought it might be a little bit fun to, to yes. help try to lighten the mood a bit for us as we go out and shovel <laughs> for the 100th time.
1: <laughs> right, right. And I think this really ties into, you know, that whole season where we discussed self-awareness
0: mm-hmm. really, and knowing
1: where you've you fall um, on such a wide spectrum of how you could feel during the winter um, and from year to year even too. So yes, you're right. I think it's important to acknowledge that um, all these different areas on the spectrum exist when it comes to winter. And we're going to take the approach where it's like we're kind of done with candles. So now what?
0: Yeah. Um, yes.
1: <laughs> but also acknowledging that sometimes the now what needs to be taken a step further. So, yeah, uh, we're just kind of going through that middle ground, but also acknowledging, too, there are there's still tons of space on both sides of the conversation we're going to have today.
0: So when we were planning this episode, there's so much that you and I love from all different cultures around the world, right? That Mm -hmm. um, especially these cultures that have to deal with winter and they span everywhere from here in Canada to obviously Scandinavia to Japan. And we really stepped back and we thought, okay, If we had to pull, you know, from all of these cultures and all of these cool things, we realize it kind of breaks down into three different sections. Mm -hmm. Uh, These people who have to survive winter, endure it, and perhaps enjoy it, they do these three things. They prepare, they get outside, and they listen to their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to break it down into those three sections. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know what? I
1: loved this approach that we took, too, of looking around the world at different cultures and what they did, because winter isn't new. <laughs> it's, it's <not> <laughs> a, <laughs> Science. It's, it's kind yes. of cyclical, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and many people have uh, endured it and lived through it for since the beginning right of the world so clearly there are there are ways and it's not even location specific right so (laughs) as you were saying like it is a worldwide thing and it behooves us to take a look outside of our own backyards to see what our neighbors are doing that works for them and see if we can't adapt a little bit of those tips and tricks for ourselves in an effort to
0: make our season a little bit better and brighter. And do you know what I find most fascinating too? Mm-hmm. Is that so? Even though yeah, it's cyclical and, and it's been around since the beginning. Um, mm. winter that is. Um, yeah. we have the best technology now, right? Than than there's mm. ever been. We've got the proper winter clothes. We've got furnaces. We've got double glazed windows. We've got all of these things, and <laughs> that you're gonna say. Sorry, I thought you were gonna say donuts. Yeah, I do have double glazed donuts. I needed a pile of double glazed donuts. That's part of my survival kit. Sorry, got Um, excited there. You go on. (laughs) I have to admit, double glazed is part is like one of my favorite words. Amazing! Oh my goodness. So we have all of this awesome technology, but I'm realizing Michelle, like everything we're going to talk about and everything that's been so successful over these generations, over Mm. the millennia are like almost not technological things. They're just shifts in mindset or a little bit of extra work. They're not, they actually have nothing to do with how warm your house is or how good your furnace is or any of those things. So that kind of just hit me too. So it spans generations. It's international. So what do these people do that we need to do?
1: Excellent. Yeah, well, um, the first thing they do, I guess,
0: what you mentioned, is they have to prepare for it. Yes, they do. And for a lot of cultures, and this is probably a little bit more true historically, um, but they start preparing for winter as soon as it warms up. And I'm specifically thinking about Canada's Inuit people. Uh, they start preparing for winter on the first day of spring like as soon as things start to grow they're like that's it winter um (laughs) right it's because it is truly like life or death if they don't get everything put away right there is no food so I I came across this excellent article on tukeandcanoe.com it's so good Michelle that I'd love you to link it in the show notes Mm, um and it was an interview with Indigenous Tourism BC and they really talked about this about how they would prepare and they took the um people that they were interviewing that they were having conversation with out into the frozen tundra and said so look around find some food and they're like there is no food mm. and they're like yeah exactly like this is why it's so serious that we start preparing um as soon as things start to warm up and grow so traditionally the men would fish for salmon and, and i say traditionally and perhaps this still happens um i'm sure it still does but let's just say the men fished for salmon and hunted for elk and caribou and the women harvested berries and plants for food and medicine uh now everything has to be be preserved, right? Mm. And so usually the way of doing that, you could obviously freeze things outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other way and this is similar throughout the world and throughout history, they things food would get smoked or dried for winter. Right. Um, now, if you didn't have access to salt, you couldn't dry things with salt. You'd have to hang it outside to dry. So, I'm like, this is very similar to things I've studied you know, from history in England and other parts of Europe. The difference here, and I think what we really do need to acknowledge is northern canada and i guess even southern canada without our access to the things we have to make winter a little easier is pretty much locked in winter right for Mm. six months and most places of canada except for the extreme southern part of ontario where we live Mm -hmm. there is nowhere else to go like and it's so remote like so versus england where things start to thaw and warm up starting in around february Mm -hmm. so you had to prepare because it was six long months of winter and um the other thing that they would do and this is actually something they did in winter which i blew my mind they would collect the fur that they would wear in the winter in the winter because the animal's fur in the winter is heavier and thicker so that would be one of the actions they would actually do when the snow started to fall is they would hunt and then collect the fur off the animals
1: Mm -hmm. smart it's like Mm -hmm. seasonal clothes but yep (laughs) in, in Like leveled up,
0: <laughs> yeah. I would take like summer fur of an animal and be like, "Why am I so cold?" <laughs> I
1: know. Oh my goodness! But see, like that is fascinating—the wisdom that yeah. is just um, learned by experience and then obviously passed down in their culture, right? Mm-hmm. And that becomes common knowledge to them. And for someone like us, like if we were those people dropped in the tundra, just being like, yeah. "Survive now." Yeah, <laughs> we would have <laughs> none of that resource, uh, none of that wisdom. Uh, and so that is so interesting. And especially how early they start. Right. Yes.
0: So that's even, what struck me. Yeah, yeah
1: me too. Um, and in that book that we were talking about earlier, Wintering mm-hmm. by Catherine May, she was talking to her Finnish friend
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they started pre- preparing for winter in August. I think Mm -hmm. they're talking about in the book. And I thought that was really far in advance. I was like, wow, August, like you're really on top of things. But then
0: we have the Inuit people and (laughs) Mm -hmm. they're even more so. Yes. And, you know, going back to that conversation with her Finnish friend, there's Mm -hmm. a word I wrote down. I don't know if you have this in your notes about how they prepare. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. called Talvitolat. Yeah. I'm probably butchering that in Finnish, yeah. but um, it's the action. And there's no direct English translation, but it is the action of store um, stowing away your summer clothes. Mm. Now, the author of Wintering, Catherine May, asked her friend, well, can't you just throw a sweater over your regular clothes? Like you do a full transition of summer clothes to winter clothes and store things away. And she goes, yeah, it's minus 30. <laughs> you, can't, you can't just throw a sweater over your summer T-shirt. Like it's very, very different mm. than, you know, a more moderate climate. So um, that idea, she said it's actually like almost a ritual of storing away the summer clothes, making sure everything's packed properly and mended, and then pulling out the winter clothes. Now we do that, right? You do that, yep, I do that, in I do Canada. That. Um, but I've never you and I love to romanticize our tasks and chores as moms. <laughs> and now I think I will make this act of to vitilat the seasonal changeover of clothes a little bit more, uh, yeah, romantic. We'll, I'll make it more into like a special occasion.
1: Yeah, like a almost a seasonal ritual. Yes, right. It it is a little bit of like packing away a season and pulling out the next one and along those lines I was really thinking when I read that part of the book too how it also can help with your mentality as you Mm -hmm. are preparing for the season like wearing a uniform or how we talk about putting on an apron and what that does to your motivation and your mindset going into work just putting on an apron so if you think about too like making that a really uh stark point in your winter preparations even with your clothes it will have a lot to do with signaling to your brain that a transition is happening and you're going into something that's different
0: and then one of the things i thought was interesting was in japan so um again i I have never been to japan i'm sure a lot of their modern houses are very similar to our houses Mm -hmm. but traditionally they had Paper walls. Like, <laughs> and it gets, it snows in Japan. It's cold. Mm. But unlike a lot of northern climates that spend a lot of time winterizing their houses, which is something that they do as well in Finland, she was saying that like mm. you have to fix, you know, every little hole on your roof because you don't want six months of snow sitting on top of a, right. of a roof with damage on it. In Japan, they don't go, go to the trouble so much of winterizing their houses. They very much are, a, you just dress warmer. They're like my yeah. dad. Like, it doesn't matter that we were cold. You put on more socks. You put on another pair of socks or a sweater in his
1: house. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, I find that really interesting too. And I wonder if it's more of an Eastern idea, like more um, Mm. in Asia. Because I was reading an article in the Epoch Times, and we get that newspaper weekly. And one of the sections I love, they have a culture and tradition section. And a couple of weeks ago, they had an article uh, written by Maureen Lau, who is a fourth-generation traditional Chinese medicine specialist. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that according to more... Uh, taoist chinese philosophy concepts Uh, they also are more likely to keep the environment cool and they recommend that you keep the environment Mm. cool because the body actually needs to feel cold it needs to be exposed to cold in order to conserve um, heat in the body so it's taoism is the yin yin and yang thing right that's their philosophy um and so it it even exposing yourself to the cold has something to do philosophically with how they see balance in their body in Taoism and so in the article she was suggesting uh, recommending to keep your indoor temperatures at 68 degrees Fahrenheit mm. which is 20 degrees Celsius for us Canadians okay. I had to Google yeah. that because I can't yeah. do the conversion in my head nope um. <laughs> And then she also suggests things like opening the windows in the winter, in the mornings Mm -hmm. and in the evenings, but to focus on keeping your feet, neck, stomach and back warm. So again, Mm -hmm. like dressing, uh, the emphasis is more on, yeah, experience the colds. Your body needs to know it's winter, but to keep the body specifically warm.
0: And then my dad's voice again, what are you doing? <laughs> Heating the whole street. <laughs> no, you leave The front door open for a minute, but oh, yeah. you know what I open. Yes. So, you know, on Tuesday, um, this past week, it was only my first day without the kids in 51 days. And <laughs> let's just say I've got a teenage boy. That room needed a little bit of airing out. Um, so <laughs> I cranked those windows open and had the cold air, you know, flood the upstairs, of the house. And I, loved it it Mm -hmm. is is awesome and it's that whole thing of um you know how we're always told you should actually sleep with it really cool at night so it's like yeah your face and head are out in the cool and then your body's warm under the blankets we Mm -hmm. always have our heat way too cranked like it's one of the things people say when they come into our house but Mm -hmm. yeah that idea of sleeping in a cool room under warm sheets so that's very interesting
1: yeah and so and yeah it's interesting that it spans different cultures
0: like Mm. even to here so yeah definitely something to keep in mind one of the other ways that people prepare you know we touched on this a little bit with food but it's it's also canning and other ways of food preservation and i have noticed a massive uptick of my friends Mm. on instagram and social media learning how to do canning and these are girls in there i say girls uh because i'm old um these are girls in their 20s and they are like learning how to do these things and filling their basements with canned Mm. foods and it is mind-blowing to me i will probably never can you know Mm. i'll say that right now on (laughs) on the podcast um but i have yeah i think it's really big right now and i think that that's absolutely fascinating that so many of this like generation just below me are learning these old ways
1: Mm -hmm. i i agree i think in my mind i really want to be someone who cans and preserves Mm. things but I don't know if Mm. I'll ever get there Um, but I have had very very generous people share some preserves with us from time Mm -hmm. to time and I I love I think it's amazing going down midwinter and sometimes you have like a a jar of preserved peaches or something like they're it, I it's definitely something that takes a lot of work, um, a lot of preparation,
0: but yields <laughs> huge fruits <laughs> in <laughs> the middle of winter. <laughs> One of the things I almost tried, Michelle, um, mm-hmm. it was last year, right at the beginning of spring, I was watching a, an old video of Jonah Jinton, our beloved Jonah oh, Jinton yes. from Sweden. And she talked about how she gets the very tiny, still curled up leaves off of the birch trees um, before they open up and grow much larger. And she mm. dries them and then she makes them as tea. And you can, she's like, you can smell and taste spring in them all winter long. Oh, so I I, yes. I, did this. Okay. <gasps> I went out to the bush last year. I filled my hoodie pocket with <sighs> covered, very tender little birch leaves. I brought them all. I unfurled them all. It took like an hour. I laid them all out on paper towels. I'm like, I am doing this. I am going to be enjoying birch leaf tea next January. And you know what happened? Jason threw my little (laughs) pile of leaves when he cleaned the kitchen that night. (laughs) It was like two hours of harvesting and I'm like, well, that's it. I'm not a farmer. This This was too much.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: That's amazing.
1: You have natural mm-hmm. obstacles. You have internal <laughs> obstacles, like trying to Lots overcome and get motive motivations. And then you yeah. have the, the very kind, considerate family yeah. member obstacles. Too. That's
0: right. That's right. <laughs> and I think the last thing in this preparation section is also another part from the book wintering by Catherine May, where she really recommends, um, taking inventory of your mental health and when things are good, right? Mm. On a sunny day in the summer, when you're feeling good, start to think then about what things you should have in place, what support systems, you know, if you need extra help outside of the home, what do you need for the upcoming season so that you have it ready? Don't wait until you don't even recognize that you're like weeks into mm. uh, a, a, depression or the blues. Um, And it does, it catches me off guard. You know, I've talked before that I have PMDD, which is the severe PMS. And I don't realize I'm in PMDD till four days into it. And Mm. Jason knows I'm in it the minute it happens, but it takes me several days. Mm. Um, So I know that one of the ways to really help with that too is to like to prepare the week leading up to it to kind of have things in place. So she talks about that really openly in her own struggles with mental health in the book. And she doesn't take it lightly, but she said, you know, it's really important to to take the time when things feel good and there's you know more light and life in the world before you go into the darkness to have those systems in place. Yes. I
1: think that's so important. And you know what, it's even like for us Christians, it's biblical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. It's the whole parable of the um are they bridal attendants? Mm-hmm. the yeah, the, the lamps? the yeah. lamps, yeah, the the women with the lamps. And yes. uh, <laughs> I, think, oh, I was thinking of them
0: like, it's like a group of bridesmaids, and like, yeah, that's what I thought too. dresses yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> in the setting of like ancient Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in any case, yeah, like half of them prepared, they thought ahead, and half of them didn't consider that. Uh, didn't consider too far and they were caught off guard um, of the coming of the bridegroom and they weren't prepared so I I really think that in different aspects of our lives we hear this hearkening for us even during those good times then to be cognizant that it's coming again so to keep that always in the back of your mind. So the next
0: thing that we notice that people do around the world is they get outside. This is hard for me, Michelle. This is the hardest one for me. Um, But I think that it's kind of a no-brainer to consider sunshine Mm. (laughs) and the power then the vitamins um, and what sunshine does to your body. So uh, it takes all of my strength to get outside and play in the winter. It's just, it's just not natural for me. I don't enjoy it. But the one thing that even I can do is with the shovel clear off a little spot on my deck or on my front porch. And I sit in a chair, like even a folded camping chair, I Mm. keep closed in the garage and I bring it out um, with my cup of tea or my cup of coffee. And I face that sun and it is incredible. So Mm. I might not be the mom who's building this, you know, snow fort or playing with my kids outside, but I am the mom who leaves them all alone inside for 10 minutes. while I go (laughs) sit with my coffee and, and face the sun and it makes a demonstrable um, impact on my mood and my energy levels. And I'm, you know, even the walk to and from school mm-hmm. every day, I realize like that alone too has just really, when I don't have that, like I didn't over the last two months, yes. now that I have it again, I'm like, why am I so happy? Yeah. What, what ha- <laughs> why, why happy? Why smiling? And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> I've been getting outside of my I walked. House, outside. Yeah, I walked. In the yeah. nature.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, that is amazing. I totally agree. And that's something as um as we're homeschooling this year yeah. that I noticed starkly that um there always was a reason to leave the house first thing in the yes, morning and it yes. had to happen whether you felt like it or not and that was nice in a, in a way. In a romanticizing kind of way. Yes. <laughs> Cuz sometimes those mornings you don't want to in the moment. I do yes. I do know that. And you know what though? Um I've always also kind of dreaded winter like um, in years past, but this year has been different. And Mm -hmm. I really do credit it, much like you, noticing um, that making an effort to get outside more often really changed January, at least for me. We um, have been trying to do the 1,000 hours outside challenge, Mm -hmm. and that is basically... um, Uh, is on instagram as 1000 hours outside and the goal is to over the course of a year get outside for that long or to see how far you can get in any in my case (laughs) Mm um and being intentional about it and having to spend some time outside you're right you walk back into that house and it's like your life is completely different than when you walked out from the front door right so it it is as hard as it is to get outside
0: when it's cold out I think it's something that we really should prioritize and one of the things that actually motivates me to do it and again this is going to make me sound horrible but sometimes my own husband and kids isn't enough of a motivation for me to go outside. So sometimes I find I have to book a walk with a friend mm-hmm. and and because I've committed to them and they're, you know, driving over to my house or something to meet me for a walk, I actually have to go. It's easier to break those little promises <laughs> to the people we're closest to. Yeah. So yeah. Th- I found that that's it's one true. of the things that, yeah, if I really have to get outside, I, I try to make plans with other people and <laughs> keep my word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Finding those little
1: hacks to motivate yourself um, Um, And they can be like physical hacks, like uh, knowing you're prepared to go outside, knowing where your gloves are, um, Mm -hmm. because finding the gear is sometimes half the battle too. Um, But even the idea of uh, curi. so we've kind Mm -hmm. of talked about it, right? Um, Curi is a Scottish trend, and it's the feeling of uh, basically coming in and cozying down, but after you've been outside. Yeah, Yeah. And we did that whole episode on homecoming. Uh, which reminded me of this because I think this is my uh, version of Huga I think this is yeah. how I feel Huga best actually if if the Scandinavians and the Scottish don't mind me so <laughs> 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 like completely Frankensteining their two customs together mm-hmm. Um But it's true. And that will motivate me in a couple of different ways. It's what motivates me to clean and to organize when I don't feel like it or I I have Mm -hmm. low energy in the winter, knowing that I'm going out, then going out, knowing that I can then come back in. And everything yes. tidy and clean. So it's a yeah. very long process to give a mouse a cookie type of a thing for me. Yeah. Uh, it keeps going. But uh, I really find that that whole mindset, too, can really help motivating yourself mentally as well as physically. So that is like more of a Scottish thing, the kuri, but we're going to go back to Scandinavia because they really make winter seem very glamorous, <laughs> I find, mm-hmm. in Scandinavian countries. Um, but in all seasons in the in the Scandinavian countries, they practice something called, hmm, here we go, uh, <laughs> freelootslieve. I think it's mm-hmm. freelootslieve. Oh, sleeve. Free yeah. Free loot sleep. I don't know. They say <laughs> some sort of a, a beautiful cadence. Okay. <laughs> and uh, do you know what? It's one of the central themes of one of my favorite, um, probably most quoted book here on the podcast. There's no such thing as bad weather, mm-hmm. by Linda McGurk. It's really changed how I see time spent outside because they really put it, such an emphasis on it. It literally translates to open air living. And I was just learning when I was doing research for today that in Norway, it's so prioritized that you can actually earn a bachelor's degree in oh, freeloops no. leave. I know. I know. I want to know what that course um, course outline looks like and what wow. kind of things you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's their whole concept, like you have to get outside because it's good for you, right? Like Mm -hmm. we talked about, that sunshine, the vitamin D that you get from sunlight. It helps with so much. It boosts your energy levels. It strengthens your immune systems, which is a good idea (laughs) right now. Um, Also, you know, being in natural daylight, it boosts our serotonin levels, which is our body's feel-good hormone. And then also too personally... I find it as well. It maintains proper perspective. When you Mm. get outside, you feel small, but in a good way. Do you know what I mean? Like you just kind of sense your littleness and it's ordered and good to feel that.
0: And And I feel that actually more in the winter. Do you feel that more when there's so much um, white on white? Like the sky sometimes is almost the same color as the ground or that like soft blue color that things can go. And Mm -hmm. it does feel very like it does feel like you're it's your body feels very different in relation to the environment around it in the winter than it does in the summer.
1: Yes. Yeah, it does feel uh, like the sky is bigger yeah, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. And and yeah, I know uh, for me, spiritually, it has a lot to do with feeling my littleness in the vastness and in the greatness of God and his creation. And that gives a lot of calm and peace. So even mentally and spiritually and physically getting outside is really good. And that's something they really prioritize in Scandinavia. And it's starting to come here in North America too, I think. Um, But that got me thinking too that if this does so much good for ourselves, this can be something that we try to encourage and foster in our communities as well and thinking how we can uh, almost pass this knowledge along and encourage other people to get outside too.
0: I think that that's really important and in, in cities and communities that have winter like we have. I really wish there was more organized things to get families outside like that would motivate people like me who just mm. need that little extra push to get outside because it's like, hey, you know what they're doing? and It's fun and it's free down at our park. You know, historically, yeah. cultures. Um, have had festivals and I'm thinking like Pegan northern cultures had festivals every six weeks um mm. throughout the year, but this was particularly important in the winter like there had to be something to look forward to, something to do um, and so I mean Quebec has their their right. <laughs> their festival de neige I think it is yeah. bonhomme de neige. <laughs> <laughs> We yep. were talking about Bonhomme de Neige last night, so he's top of mind right now um, <laughs> with having a Quebecer husband. But um, yeah, it's it's just this idea i wish our communities were set up more for that now we can't always get that but one of the things and this is a little psa from me um Mm -hmm. doing the walk again to school i'm having complete flashbacks to how horrible it was having to try to push a double stroller over that you know michelle that ice that's like the day before it was slushy and there were footprints and then it froze Mm. overnight so it's really really bumpy and you're walking over frozen footprint yeah okay that yes um i'm like if it is this hard and slippery and treacherous when i was pregnant trying to not fall on the walk to school and, you know, kids falling and hurting themselves. Then I'm like, what about our elderly? What about people in wheelchairs? You see Mm. them trying to get down the streets. It is just as important for them to be able to get outside and get that fresh air and the sunshine. So really consider how you can help those around you, um, get outside and get some of those benefits as well. Make sure you're shoveling. Mm-hmm. Go the extra mile, shovel your neighbors driveway, get your kids helping. Um, yeah, I just really feel feel like I needed to say that because it's really important that we encourage everyone um to get outside and not just be locked inside until spring comes, which you know has really been the case over these last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it's a great workout, right? Sometimes that's the only time I do get outside. And I so you're getting your muscles moving, you're heating up, you're out in the sunshine sometimes. So it feels really good too. So, Mm -hmm. all right. We've been outside. Yes. And (laughs) speaking of our bodies. So after you've shoveled, you have to listen to your body and be like, I need a hot bath because my body's in pain. So now we're talking about (laughs) listening to our bodies. um, Because this is something that we really have noticed. It does seem like people have done a much better job at than maybe we have. Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Like you,
1: if you have spent time outside, you walk in, and if you're paying attention, you know exactly
0: what you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. After being in term- and you're talking rest <laughs> and food and everything, right? Yeah. Yep. If you really pay attention, you're like, mm-hmm. my body's telling me exactly what it needs right now. Yeah, and I
1: actually think I won. I've been wondering this past month if part of the challenge of winter, part of why. I personally have struggled so much with winter. Is it because I kind of dismiss those needs of our bodies because Mm. we think we shouldn't want or feel those things? Right. Right. And then we feel bad about ourselves. And, you know, we're talking like you're saying about food or extra sleep. You feel more tired in the winter. Like these are things that might just be natural to winter. And yet we still want to run at a summer's pace. Right. And
0: and so maybe, and I can see how that would be stressful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much of our modern life and so many, so much of the modern conveniences that we have like electric light and furnaces and all these things, it does separate us from our bodies and from nature. Right. Mm. And I think that that's such a really, really good point is that we are trying to live like it is summer because it's bright in our houses, like it's summer and it's warm in our houses, like it is like, so it really is a mind game. Um, And so another trend, right? So many people you and I both follow are doing like the um, darker evenings and really mm. trying to like have their house kind of follow the sunrise sunset um, and not using as much electric light. It's something I've tried to do for years in the evenings. Um, but yeah, I feel like this this perpetual summer that we've been given by modern technology really has messed with us a bit.
1: Hmm. It's
0: so true. And even the light
1: thing, Catherine May talks about um, something that you've told me about in the past about how people without electric light
0: Mm-hmm. how they
1: would do nights and they would get up actually in the middle of the night. Right. Yes. Because they yeah. go to bed so early. They just go to bed when it's dark, which yep. in the winter could be like five o'clock, <laughs> yeah. five or six o'clock. So you sleep like eight hours and you're only at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and then people would get up for two hours or so. And then they go back yeah. to sleep for another few until they have to get up with Dawn again to work. Yeah. Um, and we don't have that connection to the natural cycles of the day and how it changes in the seasons, which is interesting.
0: One of the easiest ways that you can try to get into that cycle a little bit more is one of my favorite things. And I plug this, <laughs> plug all, this all the time <laughs> on the show, but uh, it's one of two things, either our, my love for lamps, right? Mm-hmm. And you and I talked a lot about lamps, which really changed a lot of people's lives. Some of the most feedback we got from people was on our opening and closing of home episode Mm, um, and about turning on the lamps right at nighttime instead of using overhead lighting Mm -hmm. and the other thing I'm a huge fan of is dimmer switches it is a very affordable and easy to change to do change in your home so all of the main living areas in my house so our living room our kitchen our dining room um not our bedroom yet I keep meaning to do that one they're all on dimmer switches and so I never just have like bright lights on um, mm. in our house in the evenings everything's always adjusted as pretty much as low as they can go so lamps candles dimmers uh it does make a significant difference in kind of calming my family down after a busy day at school and letting like our bodies rest as we prepare to go to bed
1: mm-hmm. that's such a good point and even the temperature of the light bulbs mm-hmm. too right like yes. you have the really bright blue light bulbs yep. they i i have to say i have mostly warm temperature light bulbs in my house but there's like one or two lights where if I had (laughs) no spare bulbs I would just stick in Mm -hmm. one of the really bright ones and I actually feel agitated after a while if it's in the evening with those like daylight kind of um blue temperature light bulbs so That is really something interesting to consider. And we do feel more tired because of the lack of daylight in the winter. Mm. Um, I was reading that this is what speeds up our melatonin production in our body. And the melatonin is the hormone that affects our circadian rhythms. Mm. And so we naturally will feel more tired in the winter than we do in the summer. And while you can help it by things we've talked about, like getting outside, um, upping your vitamin D by, with supplements or by exercising. To our point here, it, it is a little bit interesting to me why we're so bent on fighting it like so hard. Yeah. And you yeah. know what? Uh, what if we just kind of embraced it and let ourselves rest more as we can. Um, there's a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. His name is Brant Hassler, and he's also a sleep expert. And he agrees. He says that if we can sleep more in winter, um, because we feel like we need more sleep and rest, he says it's, it's a good idea and that in general, it's a good idea to accommodate our need for sleep.
0: Well, and you were mentioning before briefly about the immune system, right? And if you're not rested, I mean, that's one of the first things that will attack your immune system is it just really lowers down that guard, those guards. And, you know, I had COVID, my family had COVID. And for three Mm -hmm. weeks leading up to me catching it, I hadn't slept. I had a really bad run of children not sleeping and then I remember I knew it. I knew it in my own body and I'm like if I'm going to catch COVID it's going to be now because I have not been this Mm -hmm. exhausted in such a short or a very long time and sure enough that's when I caught it. So rest isn't, you know our bodies are maybe crying out for that rest as well because it knows that it's one of the first lines of defense against catching some of the winter illnesses. That can be really devastating as it runs its way through a family you know the other ones beyond COVID as well that we've historically had to deal with.
1: Right, right. And isn't it interesting to think about the correlation between our mm-hmm. increased desire to sleep and the uh, the benefits that sleep has on our immune systems during a season that is synonymous yeah. with cold and flu. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. almost like nature's trying to tell us something here. Um yes. which can be really helpful if we are again just a little bit more aware like wow I am really tired. Maybe I won't like try to go out and run 5k today (laughs) (laughs) maybe I'll just walk down to the mailbox and get some fresh air and that will be good and then I'll sit and I'll rest and I'll let myself have that
0: well like Catherine May said in wintering if you don't make time for rest your body will find a way to rest. And sometimes that's getting sick then. And then you're forced to like, or you slip and fall because you're rushing so much and you hurt your ankle or whatever. Like your body will find a way to force you to rest. And so again, we can be in control of that if we just listen to our bodies and follow the cues. I'm saying this as someone who still goes to bed at one in the morning yeah. <laughs> and isn't very good at doing that. But I think mm-hmm. this is a mind shift, a mindset shift for me. I really want to take this advice that we're talking about and not feeling guilty if I, i like, I never nap ever. I never let myself, even when I had newborns and wouldn't say, I just can't nap. But I know that there are times, especially as I'm getting older, that my body wants that little 20 minute cat nap in the afternoon. And normally I would beat myself up about that. Like you can't do that. So I, I want to take this advice myself too. And just like let go of that guilt and listen to my body and take that time.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, um, for myself on Sundays, I started this thing during the winter called um, hydrate and hibernate. (laughs) (laughs) On Sundays, (laughs) that's what I do. After mass, after we have brunch, for some reason, I can't keep my eyes open after mass Mm -hmm. and after brunch. So I fill up my water bottle and I go upstairs. (laughs) Oh, lovely. And you're right. Like... In years past, it would have been like an all afternoon affair for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I find that I actually don't need to rest as much for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is like 20 minutes or half an hour, Um, but it really does make a big difference. And I, I think it's good to be aware of that and to let yourself have that if you're feeling like you need to take a pause.
0: Another thing I've had to personally wrestle with guilt over, just like trying to allow myself to rest is also enjoying the foods that it seems like my body is craving. Mm. Like it blows my mind, right? That I do want like starchy root vegetables and like heavier soups and things that I'm like, I probably shouldn't be eating that, but we are craving things like mashed potatoes and rich cakes and that sort of thing. And I, I really want to be able to figure out why my body is craving those things and, you know, and let go of the guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And this idea of
1: e- eating seasonally, and mm-hmm. I think you raised a really good point when we talked about this another time, that mm-hmm. we can't, where we live anyways, eat seasonally <laughs> and locally at the same time in winter for us those are two different things (laughs) because it is us in the tundra again (laughs) like find food we cannot so (laughs) no we um, cannot (laughs) (laughs) um but I was struck by this concept of eating with the seasons from a podcast called grow yourself and the host was talking about this um really amazing thing of nature where the earth produces food that contain the nutrients you need uh, in that particular season. Mm -hmm. So for example, watermelons are in season in the summer when we need more hydration and more Mm -hmm. hydrating foods. Whereas citrus fruits uh, ripen in the winter when we need more vitamin C to boost our immune Mm -hmm. systems. Like it's, it's like nature has this all planned out again. But I find it really interesting to wonder why it is that we crave the high-end fiber, the starch, like you were saying, like those foods. Why is it that in the winter? And there was an article on theconversation.com that proposed a couple of suggestions uh, for reasons this could be. Uh, one of them is there is a new field of science, I don't know if you know, uh, relatively new, called nutritional psychiatry. I know, which sounds fascinating. Mm. Um, But it suggests that our store of happy hormones like the serotonin uh, and the dopamine dip somewhat in the winter due to our lack of activity and the exposure to sunlight. And so because eating our favorite foods and our favorite comfort foods also releases those pleasure hormones... Eating them gives us that rush we so crave because we're lacking it in other areas. And so that could be one of the reasons why we tend to especially crave our favorite foods in the winter. And then they were also talking about a possible biology or evolutionary connection, Um, because in times of pre-housing, pre-heating, pre-warm clothing, uh, humans were more likely to survive winter if they increased their body weight. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, craving the carbs and the sugars would become a survival mechanism that we may have carried on to today, even subconsciously.
0: And then the last... I have 100 oh. carried, I have 100% oh. carried that. <laughs> There's that joke. It's like my, cause you know, I have Métis blood. So I have like my indigenous oh. side and then our, the pioneers that came over and for my family from England in the 18th. I'm like, my body just knows ancestrally that mm-hmm. it's going to build a log cabin and it's going to need to survive. <laughs> Um, and then there was one other really interesting
1: theory they had with social learning. And what this one suggests is that what our caregivers gave us as children in the winter to eat can impact what we choose to eat in the winter as well. Because mm. as people, we learn through imitation and modeling And that when we eat these comfort foods from our childhoods, it may play a role in alleviating maybe loneliness or boredom. And it may produce
0: those positive memories of social interaction. You bring up a really good point, Michelle, about, like, modeling, right? So much Mm. of what you and I talk about on this podcast is that the things that we're doing as we learn about ourselves, as we become self-aware, as we learn to really take care of ourselves in a holistic way is modeling these behaviors for our kids. And so this is true with all of this that we're doing, right? If we give ourselves permission to rest guilt-free, our daughters will learn that. They won't be like, my mom worked so hard all the time where she didn't lay down and rest. I have to do the same thing. Mm. Um, You know, my mom nourished her body and the same thing with our sons. When they think about how they can care for their wives during these periods. Like it is so important that our kids are watching how we not just endure winter and the season of wintering as as people, if they buy the book, they're going to learn that wintering mm. is kind of a metaphor, um, for periods of our life where we need to hibernate, where we need to pull in on ourselves and, and that these are periods that are opportunities for growth, right? Yeah, and so all of this that we're doing, all of it is being modeled in front of our children about how to take proper care of yourself and how to enjoy it. The thing that for grabbed me first from her book, um, and the thing that just has stuck with me is she learned one day while she was out for a walk in the winter, she looked at the trees, and she realized that the they're not the leaves aren't gone. You, mm. We think they're gone when you look at tr- trees from far away. Yes. But when you look up close, they're there. The buds are already there all winter. And so the little leaves are prote- are, are nur- being nourished. The tree is still alive. It's starting to prepare itself for the next season. Um, and so just like in this period, we aren't, it's not like, It's the season of death that I think that we've always thought Mm. symbolically winter is, that there is a great chance for life and planning and preparation and renewal. And that's what we can do if we winter well and that we enjoy it. And then this will only be a blessing to the people around us and to the next generation as they learn also to winter well. I love what
1: you are saying. And I think one of the quotes from Katherine May's book that really kind of sums up everything we're talking about is uh, when she says this, quote, when I started feeling the drag of winter, I began to treat myself like a favored child with kindness and love. I assumed my needs were reasonable and that my feelings were signals of something important. I kept myself well fed and made sure I was getting enough sleep. I took myself for walks in the fresh air and spent time doing things that soothed me. I asked myself, what is this winter all about? I asked myself, what change is coming? End quote. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week?
0: I read Willa Cather's book, Death Comes for the Archbishop, and mm. I could not put it down. Now, I read it a month ago. We were a bit delayed, um, and I forget. Have you read it, Michelle? No, I haven't, but I've heard Ooh. about it. Yes. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Putting it down. I don't writing writing it, say it down. yeah. Right. Death <laughs> Comes for the Archbishop. I don't say this lightly when I say that it was truly one of the best pieces of literature I have ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, now the novel is a fictionalized tale of two real life Catholic priests, um, who were early missionaries in New Mexico. So much of the story is true under the guise of a fictional tale. Now, mm. Willa Cather's vivid descriptions of the New Mexico landscape are unforgettable. It's not an area I ever wanted to travel to, but I'll <laughs> admit that I immediately started following all of like the tourism accounts oh. on Instagram for that area. Um, and that just that whole part of the United States and Northern Mexico. I just really needed to see the photos of the real places and the real cathedrals and churches that she wrote about her characters. They're so realistic and flawed and beautiful. And I can honestly say now this book, I forget what year it was written, but probably a hundred years ago at this point. Um, so it's not like a, you know, in this world where we're reimagining and re figuring out how to have communication and language um, that respects our Indigenous peoples, um, I was really pleased with how she handled the differences between the Catholics and the Indigenous peoples of that region um, and their conflicts, but also the deep friendships and the mutual respect between the people it's just it's opened my eyes to so many different things and I just I'm going to read it again I absolutely loved it um I've also read her other novel *My Antonia that's also another Mm. favorite it's really good too uh Willa Cather just truly a brilliant writer
1: Okay, she is one of those authors that circulate, like her name comes up quite a lot in many Mm -hmm. of the accounts I follow on social media and stuff like that. So uh, she's definitely been on my list, but I think I will need to move her up quite a few spaces. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what have you been loving this week? So I've also been reading a good book. I'm not quite finished yet, but I think you'll agree when I say the title that it's probably safe to recommend it at this point. <laughs> um, I've been reading the book you lent me called He Leadeth Me mm-hmm, by yes. Father Walter Cizik? Chizik. Yeah. Am I saying yep. that right? Okay. Um so, yes, I'm almost done. I don't foresee anything unsavory coming up in no. these last few pages. <laughs> a big of... twist. <laughs> yeah. It would be a major plot twist and I will <laughs> publicly come back on and warn you all if, if anything happens. But um, it is the spiritual memoir of a Jesuit priest, Father Walter Chizik, um, who was captured by the Russian army in World War II. And he was convicted of being a Vatican spy, and he was subsequently uh, had to spend 23 years in Soviet prisons and Mm -hmm. work camps in Siberia. And honestly, this book is blowing my mind. I I just love it, um, because through his very honest, very vulnerable admissions of struggle, and then through his very vivid descriptions of the suffering and difficulty he sees and experiences in Russia— It is very convicting and he's very instructive on how to still see God and how to live peace and joy, even amidst the most dark and deplorable situations and times. So... Uh, I actually also really love the style that he writes in. And I was kind of reflecting on this. I see some similarities in the style um, between his book and Catherine May's book, Wintering, mm, mm. in how each chapter seems to be focused on one idea or one virtue or one revelation that he has in regards to his personal relationship with God um, and how it relates to our interior lives. But he relates each of those. Ideas to the part of his memoir or the part of his life that coincides or brought him to these realizations. So it it kind of is a neat tie in to what we talked about in this episode. So, a Facebook friend and a friend of the podcast, Lara Beth Miller, um, just this week as well recommended He Leadeth Me on her page and said Mm -hmm. that she feels it should be required reading. And I echo her sentiments totally. It has been such a bomb for me, as well as being really powerful food for thought. And I think it may be the book that we all need,
0: especially now. And I think it's a perfect Lent devotional. So Lent is coming. And if you're looking for one book to buy and to really work your way through in this next liturgical season, He Leadeth Me, we both highly recommend it.
1: Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at Sachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time.